Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Joe and I'm one of the leaders here. And tonight we're going to study a passage in the book of Colossians in the New Testament. So if you have a Bible with you, would you go ahead and turn there to Colossians chapter 3? If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one underneath the seat around you and turn to page 984. If you don't have a Bible with you because you don't own a Bible, you can take that Bible with you. We're going to study Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 17 tonight. But before we do that, I want to start with verse 17 because I think verse 17 sums up everything else in chapter 3. It it, it sums up what's in verses 1 through 16 and and gives us the big picture of what's going on in this chapter here. So so we're going to read verse 17 and then we're going to go back to verse 1. So let's read together. Colossians 3, 17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed... Whether you say it or whether you do it, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do, whatever we do, should be done with Jesus in mind. Everything we do should be done with the idea that we're going to honor Jesus with our actions and with our words. Everything we do should be done as though we're doing it for him and as though we're doing it as him. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying right here. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is what we're going to talk about tonight as we study Colossians chapter 3. But before we do that, I would like for us to pause and pray together. Because my words can only take us so far. We actually have to hear God's words. We actually have to hear God speak to us and God help us understand what's in the Bible before any of it will truly be helpful to us. So would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful for the Bible. We're so thankful that we have the gift of this book that that is full of your words, that teaches us how to live for you, teaches us who you are. Lord, I thank you that we're going to get a better understanding of who you are tonight. I thank you that we're going to get a better understanding of who we are because of what we have in you. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. Help us to understand more. In those places where, where my words fail, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and fill in those places for everyone, all of us, to be able to understand. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my first jobs was at a greenhouse, and it was not your typical greenhouse. This was actually a hydroponic greenhouse, and if if you don't know a whole lot about hydroponics, it's a very complicated thing that most simply can be stated as we grow the plants in water instead of soil. That's the simplest way of saying it, and this hydroponic greenhouse had all kinds of fruits and vegetables there. We grew lettuce, 
We grew peppers. There were tomatoes, chives, basil, rosemary, thyme. There was even a part of the plant where we grew fish, which was weird to me that we grew fish and lettuce in the same facility. But we also grew cucumbers. And that was the team I worked on, the cucumber team. And, and, and what we did in the cucumber team was not only harvest the fruit off the cucumber plants, but took care of the plants as they grew. And the rooms that we placed these plants in were long rooms that had several long rows on them. And on top of these rows were trays. And on each of these trays were three holes. And in each hole was placed a plant. And we would put a plant in this hole. And after a few days, it would grow a little bit. And we would realize that as it continued to grow, it would droop and fall onto the tray. And the problem with that is that underneath the, the plant is water. And so if the plant falls onto the tray, it gets water all over it. It will eventually rot and you ruin the plant. We can't sell any cucumbers. People won't buy them. And as my boss used to remind us all the time, if people aren't buying our cucumbers, we're not buying anything because we would have no job. And so we would go through every day and take care of these plants. And that became my job, to care for the crop. And every day I would go through and make sure that as the plant continued to grow, it was held up. And the way that we did that was tie a string above it and dropped it down to the plant. And every day we'd go and tie the string around the plant because every day it grew a little bit more. And we had to make sure that that plant continued to grow upward. Along with that, we would go along and make sure that any leaves that were at the bottom of the plant that were drooping and maybe getting in the water now, we would break those off and throw them away. Sometimes there was unnecessary fruit growing on the vine that we had to pluck off so that the good fruit could get all the nutrients that it needed so that we could harvest it and sell it. We called this process pruning, and those of you who have a garden would understand exactly what that is. And and it wasn't long before I, I started to get pretty good at what I was doing. And so that became my job all the time was to care for the crops. And so every day I would go through and we had 6,000 of these plants that I was responsible to take care of. And, and when you do something enough, you begin to be able to do it without even really thinking about it. And when you're doing mindless work, it's really easy for your mind to go other places. And it wasn't long before I began to realize that the work I was doing for these plants in, in making sure that they're continually growing upward, making sure that their head is continually pointing upward so that it doesn't droop and fall into the water and rot, making sure that, that I was plucking away the unnecessary things from it so that the fruit could grow. It wasn't long before I realized that the work I was doing for these plants is very similar to the work God does in all of our lives. In fact, Jesus even calls the work he does in our lives pruning. He's speaking to some of his closest friends and, and he says, guys, listen, I'm like a vine and you are like branches on that vine. And I'm going to come along and I'm going to prune things from you. I'm going to take things out of your life that shouldn't be there because they're taking away life from you. And when I take them away, you're going to bear fruit. This is God's desire for us, that he could come along and work in our lives so that we would bear good things for him. The process that he calls this is sanctification. 
This is a theological term that's also used in the Bible, and it's a church word, and it's, it's kind of confusing. Maybe you've heard of it before. Maybe you haven't, but simply stated, sanctification is the process whereby we become more like Jesus. That is what sanctification is, simply. Now, the word sanctification comes from a Greek word that, that at its root means set apart or set aside, set apart, designated for a special use. And that is truly what sanctification is for us. There are two parts to it where God has taken us and set us apart for special use to himself. There's a part that is completely God's work. There's a part that God is only involved in that we can do nothing about, that we can change nothing about. It's all God's work. Then there is a part where we partner with him and we obey him and we, and we follow his leading and his direction. And those two things come together to make up what we call sanctification. Now, this part that is God's, that is his work alone, that is something he does to us, that we don't do anything to ourselves, isn't too difficult for us to understand when when we imagine that we sanctify things all of the time. We set things apart all of the time. For example, my shoes are sanctified to me. None of you would want to put them on. (laughs) Your homes are sanctified to you. Your food in the fridge at work is sanctified to you. Husbands and wives, you are sanctified to each other. If you go into your kitchen, you'll look and you'll see that you have various vessels and utensils that you've sanctified or designated for a specific use. You have a plate that is sanctified for mashed potatoes and meatloaf. Glory to God. You have a (laughs) bowl that you've sanctified to put Captain Crunch in. Glory to God. You You have forks, knives, and spoons that you've sanctified to eat those things with. We set things apart all the time. My father has a fork that is his and his alone. It is sanctified unto him. And me and my brother, all growing up, he still eats with this fork, but all growing up, we knew we best not touch dad's fork. Even if it wasn't dinner time and I wanted a snack and needed a fork, I knew I'm not grabbing dad's fork because if he sees me with it, he's going to throw it away because my germs are on it. It was his fork and his alone. In fact, I'm surprised he never inscribed on the back of it, holy unto Bill. (laughs) He took this fork and he set it apart for himself. He likes the way it fits in his hand. It's a really big fork. You can fit a lot of food on it in one bite. He sanctified that fork to himself. Now that fork had nothing to do with its sanctification. That fork did not choose to become my father's fork. My father chose that fork. The same is true of us with God. He comes to us and he sanctifies us. When we have faith in his son, Jesus, and we accept that because Jesus was innocent and he gave his life for our sins, when we have faith in him, God sets us apart for him. He sets us apart and designates us for a specific use. And there's nothing that we do about it. There's nothing we can change about it. There's nothing we can do to alter that. He has set us apart to himself. Now, because of this, because there's nothing I can do to alter that, it is true that God can look at me as someone who he has sanctified to himself. He can look at me and he can call me holy. He can call me blameless. He can call me 
righteous. He can call me all of these things because he sanctified me to himself. And he can do that even if my behavior is unholy, unrighteous, and full of blame. How can this be? We see an example of this in the Bible, in the book of 1 Corinthians. This man, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a group of his friends in the city of Corinth. And at this time, the city of Corinth was the most debaucherous city in all of the Roman Empire. And the Christians who lived in this city were no different from everyone else. It would be really cool if one day we got to study 1 Corinthians and see all of the, the terrible things that these people did. And so the Apostle Paul has to write a letter to correct their misdeeds. There was a man in the church who was having an affair with his stepmom, and everybody in the church knew about it. And not only did they know about it, they were completely okay with it. And Paul gets wind of this, and he's like, guys, this is messed up. And so he writes them this long letter to help correct them of all of their misdeeds. But he opens up the letter in chapter 1 by saying, I'm speaking to all of you who are saints. The word that is translated saints has in its original language several cognates that are also translated sanctification and holy, sanctified set apart. He says, I'm writing to you people because you are holy. You have been sanctified. You've been set apart by God. You are saints. You are really messed up, but you're saints because nothing changes how God views you. You might then ask the question, what's the point of even trying to live a holy life? If, if nothing I do changes how God views me, if nothing I can do changes what he thinks of me, if he always thinks I'm holy and blameless, whether I actually am holy and blameless, why should I even try? I think the answer to that question is found in Colossians chapter 3. Where in verse 1, the apostle Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. I want to camp on this word if for just a moment, which I heard someone say one time is the biggest little word in all of the scriptures. If you have been raised with Christ, if you have been given new life through your faith in Jesus, if you have been transformed by the truth of who God is, by the truth of who Jesus is, seek those things that are above if you are a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, what he's saying is you may not behave holy all of the time, but if you are a Christian, you will desire to become more like Jesus. You will desire to be holy as Christ is holy because that is the new nature he's placed inside of us. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, and this is something each one of us has to answer for ourselves. And, and please be careful to understand, I didn't say if you have been baptized, you will want to seek those things above. If, if you have 
become a good church member, you will want to seek those things above. If you read your Bible often, you'll want to seek those things that are above. If you are a giver, if you do a lot of good deeds, you'll want to seek those things that are above. He doesn't say that. He says, if you've been given a new nature through your faith in Jesus, you will want to seek those things that are above because that's who we've now become. Not only does God call us holy, but he changes our nature so that we now want to be like him. We want to be holy like he's holy. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, and he's seated at the right hand of God. In the ancient world, the right hand was the place of executive authority. So the person seated at the king's right hand was the one who was dispensing all of the orders to everyone. He's the chief of staff, if you will. He's the executive officer. For those of you who have seen Star Trek The Next Generation, where are my nerds at? Oh, yeah. Family is here. You know that Captain Picard is in charge of the Enterprise, right? He's in charge, but at his right hand was a man named Commander Riker. And every time orders were given on the bridge, more often than not, the orders did not come from Captain Picard. More often than not, the orders came to everyone on the bridge from Commander Riker. And so when Commander Riker would say something, everyone would do what he said because he was at Picard's right hand. Picard, Captain Picard, had given his authority to Commander Riker. And so when he spoke, whatever he said had to go. When we read in the Bible that Jesus is seated at God's right hand, what that means for us is whatever he says goes because he has the authority of his father. He has God's authority. In fact, before he ascended into heaven, he said to the people who were gathered in that place, God has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. Whatever he says goes. And Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, if Christ is in you, if God has given you a new nature through your faith in Jesus, you will realize that whatever Jesus says goes. He runs this show. He says, set your mind on things that are above. Well, what is above? Christ is above. He's up there. Do not set your mind on things that are on the earth. What's, what's down here on the earth? I'm down here. Paul says, do not listen to yourself more than you listen to Jesus. Do not listen to your friends more than you listen to Jesus. Do not listen to the news more than you listen to Jesus. Do not listen to anything else more than you listen to Jesus, Paul says. Why? Because he's ruling and reigning over all things. He knows the end from the beginning. He always makes the right decision. He's never wrong. And so if he says something, we should do it. He knows what's right. Set your mind on those things that are above. Seek to submit yourself, Paul says, to the will of God that is revealed to us in what Jesus says to us. Verse 3, he says, why we should do this? Because we have died. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. 
And so when I read this, I was a little confused because in verse 3, Paul says, you have died. But in verse 1, he says, you were raised to life. That's confusing to me. You're alive, you're dead. (laughs) You're alive, you're dead. And theologians have wrestled with this idea for centuries that this mystery of sanctification is composed of these two things, death and life. Life in that Christ's life lives within us and death in that we must put to death things that he does not want in our lives. He says, put to death what is earthly in you because you have died. Now the apostle Paul, when he was writing a letter to some of his friends in the city of Rome, he said to them, you have been crucified with Christ. And I can imagine that not one of those people was present with Jesus when he was crucified and nailed to the cross with him. In fact, that just didn't happen. No one was nailed to Jesus's cross with him. But Paul tells us that when we have faith in him, there's something mysterious and supernatural that happens where it's as though we were nailed to the cross with Jesus. It's as though our sinful nature That thing within us that drives us to disobey God. That thing within us that drives us to rebel. That thing within us that drives and feeds our addictions and our misbehaviors and misdeeds. That thing within us was crucified with Jesus. And so now anytime we live in a way that is reflective of our former nature, it's as though we're dragging that corpse out of the grave and walking him around people and presenting him as a gift to everyone who's among us. Paul says Jesus put the old nature to death with himself. He nailed it to the cross with himself. It has no power over us. We no longer have to be enslaved to our sins. We no longer have to be enslaved to our unrighteousness. We no longer have to be enslaved to ourselves because Jesus put that to death on the cross with him. Just as he put us to death on the cross with him, when he rose from the dead, he took us with him there as well. Now, I was not present with Jesus when he walked out of the grave 2,000 years ago. But again, there's something mysterious and supernatural that happens. When we place our faith in him, it's as though we become crucified with him. But in the same breath, it's as though we were raised to new life with him as well. He doesn't just kill the old things. He gives us something completely brand new. This is why some of us are are feeling a little bit confused. Wow, why why is it so easy for me to not want to do the things that I used to want to do? Or why do I now have a desire to do better things than those things that I used to want to do? It's because Christ has replaced our old nature with his new one. He's raised us to life. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, So then, put to death what is earthly in you. And he lists several things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. He goes on in verse 8 to name anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. He says, don't lie to each other. Why? Because you've put off the old self. It's gone. That shirt doesn't fit anymore. 
We can't wear it anymore. He says, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We're becoming more and more like Jesus all the time, Paul says. It would be easy to read this passage and, and begin to check boxes off and say, okay, well, it's been, it's been uh, seven days since I've had any evil desires. It's, it's been seven days since I've been malicious. It's been two days since I've said anything obscene. I must be doing really good. And we keep a tally list of all of these things. But the truth of the message of Jesus is never about behavior modification. Paul says in verse 5, put to death what is earthly in you. He's not saying put to death those things that are on planet earth. What he's saying by earthly is put to death those things that are underneath the surface. See, all of these things, sexual immorality, anger, malice, obscene talk, lying to each other, all of those things are just symptoms of a greater problem that's going on inside of us. He doesn't want us to just hack off these things that are wrong and sinful. He wants to get at the root of the issue. Over and over and over again, when we read of Jesus' words, he says to people, you've heard people teach this for a very long time, but here's what I want to say to you. And he would address their issue and always bring it back to what was going on in their hearts. That's always what he's after, is what is going on in our hearts. My behavior is just a symptom of what's happening on the inside. If I only correct my behavior, there's no real change that's happening in here. Paul says that is what sanctification is. Well, what's happening on the inside becomes more like Jesus. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, as people that God has sanctified, that God has set apart for himself, designated for himself, people who he calls holy, people that he loves, put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience, bear with one another, which just means put up with each other. This is probably the hardest one of them all putting up with people. If one of you has a complaint against each other, forgive each other. Maybe that's the hardest one of all. And above all these, verse 14 says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. No one would disagree with that statement, that love binds everything together in perfect harmony. And he says, put these things on. And the idea is, is like putting on a coat or a shirt and it would be easy, just as we did with the misdeeds, to look at these and begin to check boxes off our list. Okay, I was compassionate today. Okay, I was kind today. I had trouble putting up with that person today, but I was able to forgive someone else today. And it would be easy to keep score. But again, it's not about behavior modification. It's about maturing and becoming more like the person Christ has created us to be. He says, put these things on like you would learn to put your clothes on. A child at some point learns how to put his own pants on. He learns how to put his own shirt on. He learns how to put his own shoes on and tie them himself. And as we go on and get older, we learn to do more and more things. We acquire more skills. That's what the apostle Paul is saying. As we grow, 
and progress as followers of Jesus, we will begin to learn how to do these things more and more and more. Verse 16, he gives a couple of examples as to, as to what we could do to, to help us to, to help us understand more of how God wants to make us more like Jesus. To help us have a better understanding of the things we can do. How we can partner with him and allow him to change us. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I have been following Jesus for probably 15 to 20 years now. I've really been trying to follow him as, as best as I can since I was about 17 years old. Really, really trying to, to direct all of my energy towards following Jesus. And I can tell you, that, and this will come as a surprise to most of you, that I'm not perfect yet. I know it's a shock. It's a shock. I'm sorry. I'm not perfect yet. But I was really confronted with this just a couple days ago as I'm having breakfast with a friend. And and we begin to have a conversation about something that's kind of rubbing me the wrong way. And, and I, I started to raise my voice and I, I started to get out of hand a little bit. And I started to get a little extreme and, and kooky in what I was saying. And he stopped me and said, Joe, you're being a kook. Because <laughs> that's what I do. I get kooky when I get angry. And I realized that even after 15 years of trying to follow Jesus... With all that I have of trying to, to do his will, trying as best as I can at most times to understand what he wants for me, I still am learning how to submit my own desires and opinions and will to him who is the Lord over all things. I'm still learning how to do it. One of the ways that God shows me what are some of the things I can put on to look more like Jesus is by letting his word dwell in me, is by taking the words of the Bible, God's words, and letting them come into my life and adjust things that are incorrect. The word dwell has the idea of someone moving into your house with you. If you can imagine how your living arrangement would change if someone moved in with you tomorrow, and you wanted to make them feel comfortable and you wanted to accommodate them. You could no longer go check the mail in the morning in your underwear because you've got a guest on the couch. Maybe you start to label some things in the fridge. You would change the way you live in your house if someone moved in with you tomorrow. And that's what Paul is saying here. Let the words of God come into your heart and move in there and be willing to accommodate them. Be willing to accommodate Christ's words, even if they make me feel uncomfortable, even if it's something I'm not used to, even if I really don't want to do it. I have to accommodate this new guest in my house because when I do, I will have a better understanding of what are those things I need to put off. What are those things I need to put on? That's what God uses in my life is the word of God, the Bible, to show me those things. The apostle Paul encourages us here as well. Let his word dwell in you. Let it move in and be willing to let him rearrange the furniture. Be willing to let him eat out of the fridge. Be willing to let him do whatever he wants. He goes on to say, teach and admonish one another. 
in all wisdom. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And this is something that we do every Sunday. We gather in this room and we sing spiritual songs in thankfulness to God. And many of you love that. It's maybe the most important part of your week. Maybe it's your favorite part of Sunday. Maybe you even take time on your own to do this by yourself. Maybe you pop on some Christian music on the way to work and you worship him in your car. Maybe you find time in the middle of your day to get by yourself and put on worship music and just stop and thank God for who he is and what he's done. I can tell you, can I just be vulnerable for a minute? And you're not going to judge me, right? Okay. Okay. I don't like to worship. I just don't. I, I, I'm never one of those people who's like, man, I can't wait to get to church and throw up my hands. I can't wait to clap. I don't have any rhythm. I've never said, I can't wait to get by myself and be all on my own and, and worship Jesus. I'm an extrovert. When I'm alone, I'm miserable. That's the last thing I want to do. But here the Apostle Paul says, that is something that will help you grow, is singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. So I'm lacking that in my life. A couple weeks ago, I'm sitting in my office preparing for a message a couple weeks ago, and it's in the evening, and I just had this random thought that I should come over here into this room and turn on worship music, stop my work, and sit and pray for a while. And I instantly knew that that thought came from God, because <laughs> there's no way I would just decide that on my own. And, and, and there's one thing I've come to learn, is that when I know God is speaking to me, I'd better listen to him. If there's one thing I've learned is that he's always right and I'm always wrong. Always wrong. I always regret it if I disobey him. And so I just obeyed as begrudgingly as it was. So I gathered my Bible and I stomped over here and I sadly turned on worship music and I sat in the back of the room, opened up my Bible and I'm like, all right, I don't know what you have planned here, Jesus, but let's get to it. And I begin to read, letting his word dwell in me. And I eventually begin to, to sing to him. I begin, eventually begin to express thankfulness to him. And before I know it, tears are streaming down my face. For those of you who really know me are astonished right now to hear that I've had any emotion other than anger expressed. <laughs> But in that moment, God began to break away some of the hardness that was in my heart. He began to warm some of the coldness that was in my heart. Because I obeyed him when he told me to do this very thing that Paul's talking about. Here, let the word of Christ dwell in you and express thankfulness to God. As the days have gone on from that, I, I've looked back and I've told several people that was one of the most profound experiences I have had in my life as a follower of Jesus. It's been very crucial for me in this period of time as I'm realizing that there are things that I still need to put off. There are things that I still need to put on. And when I think back to that and wonder why in the world 
did I ever have that thought that I need to get alone with God and worship him? And all I could think of is that somebody must have been praying for me. Someone somewhere had to be praying for me. And maybe it was one of you in this room. And if that's so, thank you so much for praying for me. But maybe it wasn't one of you in the room. And maybe I I can't go back and find anyone who was praying for me. And I've thought about it. Like, did anyone tell me specifically they were praying for me on that day? And I can't picture any conversation I had with anyone where they said that. Other than this, when we look into the Bible and read statements where it says, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Not only does that tell us that he has all authority and power over all things, but the Apostle Paul tells us that because he's seated at God's right hand, he's also praying for us. So there may have been no person on earth praying for me, but Jesus was praying for me. We don't do any of this alone. It can feel very overwhelming to look at all of these things we have to put off, look at all of these things we have to put on and wonder how in the world am I ever going to do it? Well, we are not doing it alone because Jesus is praying for us. He is seated at God's right hand, interceding for us. Do you know what he said about his prayers? He said, my father always hears my prayers. God always listens to Jesus when he prays. And if he's praying that we'll become more like him, what does that mean? We're going to become more like him. So there will be times where we look ahead and we say, it has been so hard And I've got so far to go before I'm like Jesus. I've got so far to go. And I don't even know where to start. Do I start with becoming more compassionate? Or do I start with putting away the malice that's in my heart? We have all of these lists before us. And I wonder if we would just pause and and consider. Maybe there's one thing I can choose to do right now. I might not be like Jesus in an hour. I might, not, I might have a moment where I am suddenly behaving unchristlike. But here's what I can do. Right now, I can choose to be like him. I can do it right now. And that's all life is, is just a series of moments, one moment after another, one step after another. And Jesus wants to come in and be the Lord over all of our moments. He wants to sanctify and set apart every moment of our life. And the way that we take part in our sanctification is just by saying yes to him in each one of those moments. And we can do it. Because he's praying for us. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We can do it. I can do it. You can do it because Jesus has made us new. He's given us his nature and now we can become like him. The band is going to be returning in just a few moments. And when they do, we're all going to have an opportunity to sing to Jesus in worship. We're all going to get the chance to express thankfulness to him. And I know for many of you, that's a very profound time of your week. And maybe for some of you, it's not. Maybe some of you are like me and you're like, I don't want anything to do with this time. I want you to know 
you're not alone, and there's nothing wrong with you either. But I would want to encourage you in this way, that, that maybe tonight, maybe you think about it a little bit differently. Maybe you think of it in terms of Jesus being the one who is the Lord over all things. And maybe you can't even think of one thing to be thankful to him for. This morning, I was praying with Pastor Jeff and another person in his office, and Pastor Jeff began our prayer time with this statement, Jesus, I just want to thank you for being alive. Maybe you can't find anything to be thankful for. Thank him for his life. Thank him that he's ruling and reigning over all the universe. Take a moment and express thankfulness to him. He wants to grow us. He wants to change us. He wants us to have the strength and the power and the encouragement to put on these things that look like Jesus. And it will only happen as we are acknowledging him as the ruler over all things. And for me, the easiest way for me to get humble and remember that he's in charge is to do something that I don't want to do, and that is worship. <laughs> Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that, first of all, that you're patient with us, that you are gracious and merciful and kind and loving and forgiving. I thank you that you're always looking down on us and seeing us as your chosen, holy, and beloved ones. Now, Lord, I pray from understanding these things that you would give us the strength and the desire to live it out, to act like Jesus, to, to live life as Jesus lived. I thank you that that is available for us. I thank you that that's when we feel most alive, when we're obeying you. I thank you that's when we find that everything is as it is supposed to be when we are obeying you. I pray for those of us who are struggling tonight, wondering, should we listen to you or not? Lord, I pray that you would just show us that we got to do what you say. Because you always know what's best for us. Speak to us all tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.